Here's a preview from this episode. You know, we all know like a wooden match. And, you know, you take that and we know in the phosphorus tip, the flame is waiting there to come alive when you strike the match against a surface. Well, our gifts are like that match. They stay dormant until we strike our gifts against the needs of the world. And then our light and our warmth and our love come alive. Beautiful soul, have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go to my website homepage, theangelmedium.com and sign up for my weekly angel message email. As a gift for signing up, I'm giving you access to free resources, including 31 healing meditations that if you do daily are going to help you hear your angels and your own intuition more clearly. Start using these today and you'll see changes in 31 days. Now, take a deep breath. Feel the presence of your angels as they fill you with love, joy, peace, bliss, and ease. And remember, your angels say the messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. And friends, we have a special treat for you here today. We have Mark Nepo. And I just have to tell this story real quick. I was at a woman's house, a spiritual leader in my town, and she every Christmas does this thing where for the holidays, she has somebody, uh, everybody who's coming to her house for this holiday party bring something that has just really touched and transformed their lives. So we get into a big circle and we sit down with the thing that's touched and transformed our lives. And we're going to kind of white elephant, right? Like trade things around and it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going until you end up with the thing that you wanted. And Mark, your book was in, well, one of your books, the one with the white lotus flower on oh, the front. The book of, the book of awakening. Yeah. Yes. So everybody wanted this book and there oh. were probably like 20 people in the circle and everybody kept going after Mark's book. And uh, I was like, I'm just going to sit in oneness. And if it's meant for me, it'll come to me. But it did. I ended up with the book that night. And that was kind of my intro to your beautiful, beautiful, poetic oh, work and writing within spirituality. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Mark has written a new book, Falling Down and Getting Up. And I think that this book, it, it couldn't be more needed than right here, right now. What gave you the idea for this book? Well, actually, this book, um, I was kind of invited into it by my publisher and editor, Joel Fotonis at St. Martin's Essentials. He was just always wonderfully interested in my teaching and asking about my teaching because I, I teach a lot and I hold you know, circles and with workshops and retreats. And he said, well, he kept wondering, he said, well, if someone couldn't be in one of your circles, what book would come closest to that experience? Well, what an invitation. And so that started me um, that to look across all of my years of teaching and kind of 
say what what were the themes and what were the sessions that were so touching and see how they would all go together. Yeah. And when you start off the book, you start off with talking about how the Buddhist monks say that we have to fall down and get back up. And you're like, how many times do we have to do this? Uh, <laughs> one more than your fall, right? <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. And there's a wonderful, and as I started to look into this, other cultures speak about it as well, you know, and there's a Japanese expression of fall down seven, get up eight. And it really, you know, when I was going in, I'm in my 70s, but in my 30s, I had a rare form of lymphoma and almost died. And and I remember waking up after one surgery, I had a rib removed from my back. And this nurse who was very gentle, but kind of gruff, you know, I barely woke up and she said, okay, get up, we're going to walk. And I said, we're going to walk? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Like, and, and she said, two steps forward, one step back. And I think that is a rhythm, you know, then I've since discovered, you know, in the Hindu tradition, in the Upanishads, which are the, the anonymous, holy, sacred texts in the Hindu tradition, there is an image where it is said that spiritual growth, we move like a caterpillar. And the way a caterpillar moves, it stretches out, but then in order to move forward, it bunches up and comes back a little and then goes forward. And that's how it keeps moving. So all of these things, this rhythm of falling down and getting up, no one likes to fall down, but it's actually a dance of life, how we live in the world, how we move inwardly, how we grow, we fall down, we get up. Often we need each other to help us do this. Yeah. Now, do you come from the philosophy of thought that we're all given a purpose before we come here to earth school or to earth to live in these, you know, bodies and and have this lifetime? Or is it more so that our soul is wanting to know itself, express itself, experience itself, and that our purpose is more so to do this dance of communication and falling down and getting back up in order to know ourselves at the deepest level? Well, I think it's a little of both how I see it. So I, I kind of hold it this way, that I think that the call of our soul, really the heart and the soul just wants to be alive, as alive as possible. And the same way that you would feed wood to keep a fire going, the soul just needs us to to feed care, to keep it bright. It doesn't really matter what we care about, just as long as we keep feeding it care. And so that I think the call of our soul is like the capacities we're born with. And then we do have to live this journey, this incarnation on earth to discover who we are and how we, and then as we discover our gifts, the soul's calling is where do we use those capacities? So, you know, for instance, I might have this gift to help things grow. Well, as I learn about that, as I come alive, what is, where, does, where will I apply that gift in the world? And that's where our purpose comes into being. Will I be a teacher and help young people grow? Will I be a gardener and help things in the earth grow? You know, so... 
So that's where our soul's calling leads to our purpose. Mm-hmm. And another way, an image, a metaphor that I would offer that that helps with this is we, you know, we all know like a wooden match, and you know, you take that, and we know in the phosphorus tip, the flame is waiting there to come alive when you strike the match against a surface. Well, our gifts are like that match. They stay dormant until we strike our gifts against the needs of the world. Mm-hmm. And then our light and our warmth and our love come alive. I mean, you can just feel that so deeply within every cell of your being. That's so beautiful. So there are so many people who get started on that journey, right? Of applying their gifts to the needs of the world and taking action. And sometimes things don't go our our way. They're not always going to go our way. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall down. We're going to get pulled back in some way, just like that inching worm. Some people kind of mistake these as signs. Well, if I'm not perfect at this from the beginning, then this must not be my path. And, and then they kind of stop and they start something else. But after a while, what you find is that you have to fall down and learn how to get back up. And it's one of the biggest, I would say, lessons of our lifetime, right? Absolutely. And I think in nature, everything in nature takes so many times to come alive and grow. You know, actually astonishing as it is, it takes a million grains, pollen grains, to seed one peony. Wow. So... You know, we're the only ones that say, oh, I tried this once. I guess it's not supposed to be. You know, we, we need to keep trying again and again. And I believe that because I believe the relationship between effort and grace is we need to keep trying because we never know when grace is going to show up. And so I do think that this is coupled with another kind of spiritual truth that what's in the way is the way. Mm-hmm. Again, just like we don't like to fall down. Oh, here's an obstacle. Oh, no. Oh, this. Oh, that. Well, you know, in the Hindu tradition, also, they have a deity, a god known as Ganesh or Ganesha. And Ganesh is always uh, looks like a, uh, an elephant with four arms. And Ganesh is the provider and remover of obstacles. So this tells us that obstacles are teachers. As much as we don't like them, we have to engage them to keep learning and growing. And, you know, I, I, I have, I'm in my study and I have Ganesha's everywhere. I'll show you one. That's beautiful. I love I, it. I, I didn't realize it, but everywhere where I go or I travel and I, you know, go around, I go in these kind of shops and I go, ooh, and then I buy one and bring it home and I bring it home. And, you know, a few years ago, my wife Susan came in my study and said, oh, I see you're collecting Ganesha's. And I looked around (laughs) and I said, oh my God, they're everywhere. (laughs) You know, I think it's such a great reminder though. I don't have a Ganesh, but I have this sign in my bedroom that I see every morning right when I wake up. And it's a quote by Babe Ruth that says something to the effect of, it's hard to stop a person who doesn't quit or who doesn't give up. And as I've channeled the angels and just 
uh, loved ones on the other side and readings, they always say the same thing. The difference between somebody that we see as successful here in this lifetime and somebody who we see as not is that one person chose to quit and one person chose to keep going. Well, and I think I think also that there is a gratitude of compassion that a lot of times folks depending on what they go through, they sometimes they don't get up. Sometimes they, but we're all connected. And, you know, there's, you, you know, in the beginning of the book, I, I open the book with a, a dedication, which is from a, a poem of mine. And I'll just read it. It yeah. says, the dirt that packs the plant is the beginning of beauty. And those who haul the piano on stage are the beginning of music. And those who are stuck Though they dream of soaring, they are the ancestors of our wings. And this book is for those who are stuck. Did you know I give away a new free reading each month to a listener who leaves a five-star rating of this show on Apple Podcasts or Amazon? After you leave five stars, go over to the Contact Me page on my website, theangelmedium.com. Fill out the contact me form, letting us know that you gave five stars. That way we can contact you when you win. The more five stars you leave, the more chances you have to win. And your name always stays in until you do. Don't forget to stay subscribed to our emails so that you know when you've won your free session with me. Sending you so much love and gratitude for your support on this. Thank you. Now let's dive back into the show. Because it doesn't matter. We really have to redefine success, right? I mean, what your book is about is resilience and and getting back up time and time again. And I have a lot of counselor friends and I interviewed them for the next book that I'm writing. And I said, okay, you know, if you could say one thing to all of your clients, what would it be? Or what do you think the main problem is that people aren't working through? And they go resilience, hands down. People want to have this grit innately within them, but it's a lot of work to build resilience within ourselves. Yeah, and I think a couple of things. Let's talk for a moment about our sense of dream and ambition and goals. And of course, it's wonderful to have goals and you know work toward things, but I've learned that often working for what I want is an apprenticeship for working with what I've been given. And so often it's important to stay devoted and give our all to our dreams. But we know that dreams don't always come true. But sometimes by giving our all, we come true. And that's more important. Mm. And so I have come to think about holding dreams and goals and ambitions loosely loosely because i suddenly see something and i want to work toward it we tend in our modern world oh now it's we deify it and it's you know and then if we miss or, or it turns into something else we're a failure no it just means that working toward one thing often leads us to something we couldn't foresee so i'll tell you a little story that kind of illustrates this and this is from a different book of mine. It's a book of teaching stories. 
called As Far As The Heart Can See. And it's a little story about a, a cyclist, like a Tour de France cyclist. So this guy is, he's training, he's working every day, he has state-of-the-art equipment, he's shaved all the hair off his body so there's no resistance, right? And finally the day of the race comes, and they're off. And in the first leg, which is out in the country, he is so far ahead as he comes over a hill that briefly you can't see the other racer. As he's coasting quick, very fast down this hill, as he comes to the bottom of the hill, suddenly out of nowhere, a great blue heron with its wings spread swoops over his handlebar and it stops him. And there he is straddling his bike in the middle of the race because the heron opened something he was chasing. And now we go years later. And once in a while, as he looks into the woods behind his home, once in a while, if you ask him what cost you the race, without looking at you, he'll say, I didn't lose the race, I left it. Yeah, that's the end of the story. And now someone could say that's all very poetic, but he did lose the race, he didn't win. But I hold it differently. Yeah. I think he trained to meet the heron, which changed his life. Yeah. But if you told him he was training to meet a heron, he wouldn't have trained. So we train for what's in view, never knowing that it might lead us to something magical and mystical and spiritual that we couldn't have seen in the first place until we trained for the race and entered it. And then we see what happens. So. <laughs> We have to hold these things loosely because every experience is an apprenticeship for something we can't yet see. And I'll give you one more story from history. It's a power, beautiful story about this. This is how Albert Schweitzer became Albert Schweitzer. We know Albert Schweitzer was this great humanitarian who started this hospital in Africa and opened up this incredible whole healing into that continent. But Albert Schweitzer in his 30s, he was a tenured high school teacher at a very prestigious Lutheran high school in Germany. And on weekends, he played classical organ. He played Bach and, you know, amazingly. And he'd travel throughout Europe to these concert halls to sold out crowds and play classical organ. And then one day he had this vision that he was supposed to start a hospital in Africa. There was only one problem. He wasn't a doctor. So he went to his friends and his colleagues and he said, you know, I think I'm supposed to do this. What do you think? And they all said, are you crazy? You're tenured. You're on weekends. You're playing to sold out crowds. Forget about it. And he listened respectfully, said thank you. And then he resigned and went to medical school and became Albert Schweitzer. And it doesn't mean that all of what he did before was a wrong turn. It was an apprenticeship for his soul's calling that he couldn't yet see until he had lived that part of his life, until his heart came alive. And then what he could, how he could best give and serve came into view. When I was... So I'm 41 now, but I think I really struggled in my earlier years understanding what people meant by self-limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. And looking back, you know, hindsight is 2020. Do you feel that a lot of people block themselves from their soul's journey 
through their own judgments and maybe even shunning or neglecting what we call their egoic mind, uh, their own desires, passions, wants, needs within, you know, because from this perspective of my life, looking back, all of those things were guideposts leading me on that apprenticeship that you talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is archetypal. I think everyone alive, and that's why we have to have compassion for each other. Everyone alive goes on this journey. Carl Jung talked about it as individuation. And what does that mean? Well, everyone is born. We're born into a family, of course. Whether that, it doesn't matter whether that's a difficult passage or a supportive passage. Everyone is born into an inherited set story, a set of values, a story. And then we go along and we might believe in that. It might be a good a story we find helpful and healing, but we have to make it our own. Or we have to say, you know what, that isn't really how I'm experiencing life and I have to find my own way. Or, you know, we take some of it and then we find. So whatever that process is, as we grow up, we have to test and try out the beliefs we're given and see which ones make sense to us and which ones can we make our own and which ones do we have to say, no, that's really not for me and I have to find my way. And so we go on this journey and sometimes those stories, we inherit the critical voice of a mother or a father that we have to work to get out from under. And how do we find our own authority of being, our own place in direct relationship to life? And everyone has to go through this. And when we do, and so, so along these lines, I believe that everyone who's ever lived and will live, we all get an opportunity to be dropped into the depth of life. Now, that can happen like me with cancer. It can happen with a life-threatening situation or something or loss or or a dream breaks or a loss of an identity or relationship. But it's not just difficulty that opens it. We can be dropped into the depth of life by unconditional love or beauty or surprise or wonder. But whatever it is, and, you know, I talk about cancer journey because that's what it was for me. But once we're dropped into that depth of life, that's when the real journey, the spiritual journey, begins and deepens. Because now it's a relational journey. What kind of part am I in? What kind of whole? How do I relate to the rest of life? How do I fit in and be who I am and strike my gifts against the needs of the world? When it comes to deepening, what does depth feel like? Because it almost feels like an emotion sometimes at some points when you're in the midst of this. Well, I think that everyone has to, and you know, and I like to say when I, I have these conversations or I'm in teaching circles, what I share are not instructions, but examples. Yeah. And we all compare notes really about what it is to be here. So my experience of depth over the years is that depth is the place where I know I'm in depth because I feel more than one thing at the same time. And, you know, the contemporary world and the rational world, we're often asked to choose. Well, what do you mean? You know, choose one or the other. But as I've been opened more deeply by experience and love and difficulty, you know, great love and great suffering are the two great teachers. Then it's like, no, 
actually, I can be happy and sad at the same time. Mm-hmm. I can be clear and confused at the same time. I can be fearful and also feel safe at a different level at the same time. And how do I hold those in my heart so that they can be my teachers, not feel to be running from one to the other? And so there's an experience that I feel of more and more wholeness as we're in depth. And then also that when we, a symptom of depth experience for me is that it's harder to name where we are. There's a little story to exemplify that. There's two fish in the surf and a jogger comes by and he stops. He goes, hey, what's it like to live in the ocean? Well, they're surprised, you know, to have someone talk to them. They don't say anything. And he jogs on. And when the jogger's out of view, one fish looks at the other and he goes, what's an ocean? Because, you know, from the shore, we call it the ocean. But when you're in it, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. So the deeper we go, the harder it is to name and the more important it is to keep trying to name it because that's where all the poetry and art of the world come from, as placeholders, as placeholders. You know, this is one more story. I like to tell stories. I love it. You know, is that in the life of Buddha, there's a story where he was after dinner with his students and the moon was out and he beginning a Dharma talk and and he noticed that his students were too enwrapped with his talk. And he stopped and he said, my words are just fingers pointing to the moon. Make sure you look at the moon. So all these things are and all that, that are inexpressible. It's important that we try to find stories and metaphors and ways to talk about it, but they're all Fingers pointing to the moon. Make sure you look at the moon yourself. I've been watching this documentary on Netflix, and I'm not all the way through it yet, but it's about uh, infinity and what infinite really is. Have you, you know, when you're kind of like spirit keeps bringing something in, bringing something in, but you're still marinating on it and chewing on it and sculpting it a little bit. What have they shown you when it comes to the infinity of all that is outwardly, inwardly? And is there something that ties in there with being the oneness of all of it and yet still our own individual selves at the same time? Is I know what you were saying before, but I kind of want to just see if that brings us deeper. Yes, absolutely. And all the traditions speak about this differently, but this is how. You know, let's start here because this this is your question offers a constellation of some things to, to explore. So, you know, I'll start with you know William Blake, the the English poet, the great prophetic poet. You know, one of the things he's famous of his sayings is you can see eternity in a grain of sand. And so, one of the things that all the traditions speak about, and it's at the heart of all poetry, is that infinity, eternity, the universe, wholeness is feelable and knowable briefly through the smallest details if we open our heart to them. So, you know, Martin Buber was one of the great Jewish philosophers of the last century, you know, and he said the world is incomprehensible, but it is embraceable. And so by holding and touching, we glimpse, and this is where, you know, in one drop of water is the entire ocean. And in one gesture of love is all the history of love. 
And if one drop of truth is the entire river of truth from the beginning of time, if we can open our hearts to it and touch those details in our lives and open us to all that they're a part of and all they represent. And, and this is the importance of being in the moment. You know, often in our modern world, we make a cartoon. Being in the moment doesn't mean that we don't have to have responsibility. Oh, well, I'm in the moment. Forget about that appointment or forget about the past and the future. No. The reason the moment is so important is because through the details of the moment, the felt details of the moment, we feel our place in the entire history of life, living history of life. Again, let me let me offer here. This is another Hindu story. It's not a story, but it's it, it, well, it is a little story. But let me. It has a great metaphor in it. That's a teaching metaphor, and that's Indra's net. So Indra is the god of connection in the Hindu mythology, and it is believed that Indra had a castle floating out in the heavens, and Indra wove a net that encompassed all of existence, and it and in a net, you know, there are knots that hold the net together. Well, in Indra's net, wherever you would normally see a knot, there was a jewel. And if you look closely into one jewel, you would see reflected all the other jewels and the entire net. And this became a metaphor for that every soul, every heart is a clear jewel. And, and just like every cell in a human being, you can find DNA. Well, if you look in the clear heart of any person, you can see every other heart that ever existed and how they're connected, like Indra's net. And being human, we're not clear all the time. We fall down and get up. We are clear and confused. And so when we're not clear, we lose sight of all those connections. But we're still, we turn back into a knot, but we're still holding everything together. We just don't see it for the moment. You know, in the Sufi tradition, they have a practice that's known as polishing the heart until it becomes a mirror. So what are the practices, the relationships, the experiences by which we can become a clear jewel again, the clear jewel that we are? Because that's how we can feel and see all the connections. So, you know, often I invite people to, whether in circle or in readers of, of some of my books, to, you know, whether it's in nature or in the city, whether it's alone or together, walk, take an open-hearted walk in silence until a moment stops you and be with that detail until it becomes your teacher. Years ago, such a moment for me that they're everywhere. And, and these often are the moments that become the poems. But, you know, a moment for me, I was in New York City and earlier publisher that I was working with and I was late. I was on my way to keep an appointment with my editor. And as I was walking, you know, down one of the streets in uh, Midtown Manhattan, a little alley between like a bodega and a store, another store, there was a, a pigeon, you know, eating some, you know, crumbs. And the light show all of a sudden was on it, and it stopped me. And it was one of those moments where everything in the world was in that. That was a scene that opened up. And I stopped, and it was like the pigeon in the light was saying, I don't know where you're going, but it's all right here. And I stopped, and I hung out there with that lighted pigeon, and I was late for my meeting. And 
you know, I was a little sheepish back then. I didn't want, I didn't say I was late because I was watching a bird, a pigeon <laughs> eating uh, crumbs in the mystical light. Um, but now I would, now I would say, now I would say that. Yeah. But it's important that, you know, wherever we're going, you know, I feel like the soul is always calling us to stop or these other appointments. So when a poem strikes you like that, because I, I had moments back in like my teens and 20s where it just hit you, like you said, all in that moment, like a sunset or a beautiful sky. And I would get this feeling like I am truly alive and just like the whole universe is in the droplet of sand or the little green of sand. You have these moments where you can feel the magnitude of all that is in just a second. Today, it more so happens with kind of these epiphanies that come in where, like you said, like in the moment, something will be happening or I'm with my daughter or my husband. And it's almost like this just huge consciousness deepening revelation. Do you stop after those and go write them down? Do you sit with them? Do you let them marinate? How does it end up becoming the poem for you? Well, all of the above. So I've always been a scribbler. I feel like an inner explorer, so I always take notes. This is one of the things that I think the way this informs my life as an artist, as a writer, as well as a teacher, is that, you know, when I was young, like all art forms, you know, and I was a young writer. I was taught, be on the look for good material, good stories or good things to write about. Well, but then, you know, in my early 30s, I almost died from cancer. And a gift that was for coming through all that was that I awoke on the other side and I was given the lens of the miraculous. That is, the extraordinary is in the ordinary, everywhere. Everything is good material. Everything is miraculous. It's only whether... I am present enough and my heart is open enough to feel it, touch it, be a student of it. And so being human, that's always there. My access to it comes and goes because I get tired or I get agitated or I get worried or I have too many things to do today. But it's always there when I return to it. So these moments inform the rest of life, because everyone has to both survive and thrive. But if all we do is survive, what's the point? But if we thrive and we take in these moments of everything, then that makes going through the difficulties of life, it takes the edge off. It, it makes it have a context, a deeper spiritual context. And the way that I work, you know, the way is that rather you know, again, being a young artist in a rational world, everyone is teaching you whatever the art form. Oh, maybe this will be of use in what I'm trying to write. Well, for me, it's gone the entire other way. It's like I have a sense of what I might want to explore. I might have an idea for a book or for something that's moving something or an outline. But it's kindling. It's a doorway. It's it's only till a stepping stone for me to go out and explore. Oh, here's this and here's this and this has energy and this has heart. And I just collect all these things and then I look at them 
and they tell me how they go together. Mm-hmm. So that's how poems happen. Mm-hmm. And that's also how chapters happen. Mm-hmm. So I have an, oh, this, okay, I put that, you know, I collect these things and I put them in, in Word documents or folders. And then I, after a while, look at what I have there. And then they tell me how they go together. And then I might have to write as a constellation of things, and I might have to write my way from one to the other. And then I might have to see what Carl Jung says about it, or what the Sufi poet Ghalib says about it. And then all of a sudden, there it is. And then the same process is how I put a book together. So one of the reasons I've been blessed to be so prolific is I've learned how to get out of the way. And I write about what I need to learn, not what I know. Wrote about what I know, I would have written very little. Yeah, that's amazing. For my own personal, like just knowledge, do you have a process? Like, do you write a little bit every day? Do you sit down a couple times a day or just kind of when it flows? Yeah, my process is I'm a morning person. So first thing in the morning, I'm up. And and then let me share this too, because this also speaks to what we're talking about. So the first thing I do is, and I encourage anyone who's listening or watching us to, I do three very simple rituals every morning, very ordinary. And I encourage people to create your own because it makes a difference in how the day unfolds and how wide my lens is and my heart is open. So the first thing I do is I open the blinds, but I do it with that I'm conscious that I'm letting light in. And then I take care of something living, our dog, We don't have children, so she's like our dog child. I take care of her. And then my wife, who's a potter, Susan, and she's more of a night person. So I'm up first. So then I do something for someone I love. I make coffee for her before she gets up. Now, when I am present to those simple things, that changes how the whole day unfolds because that's a ritual. And and I'll, I'll get back to my routine, but let me talk about ritual for a moment. So if I'm not present, like if I'm rushing and I'm like, oh no, I forgot to pay the bills today. And oh, geez, I'm supposed to meet this person at 10 o'clock. Oh God, I got to open the goddamn blinds. Oh, I got to feed the dog. Oh geez. And I forgot to make the coffee. Well, then it just turns into a habit. Mm -hmm. But at any moment that I realize that I can stop, take a breath and go back and do it over and turn it back into a ritual. So the ritual, the word ritual comes from a Sanskrit word, R-T-A, Arta, and it means the hidden order of the universe. So ritual is any gesture that help makes, when we're present to it, makes the hidden order of the universe visible. So that's, and if we're present, it happens. And if we're not, it doesn't. If we're present, we're a clear jewel. If we're not present, we turn into a knot, K-N-O-T. So once I do that, I'm up in my study here, and I always have the morning here. And then I'm either exploring something that's either a a feeling, a a metaphor, a story, or something, or I'm working on something that has been in process. And I'll spend, you know, a few hours here in the morning And then in the afternoon, I will consciously go out and do errands. And if I have time, I've got to get back to this. But before the pandemic, I would always stop in like a cafe for a little bit in the afternoon and continue to work. And then in the evening, we're just hanging out. You know, 
our little little family and that's usually the rhythm and then you know when i'm traveling i take to teach i i take pieces of a book with me mm-hmm. so that i can look at it on the plane or you know around things like that beautiful beautiful you've mentioned a couple of times throughout our our time together that the more open your heart is the more present you are to everything that's around you what are some ways if if listeners are wondering in your opinion, what are some ways that they can open their heart more? And again, these are examples, not instructions. I think one of the simplest ways is to lean in, especially when life pushes you back. So the difficult things push us back. That's when we need to lean in, hold nothing back, give my full attention to whatever is before me until it starts to be my teacher, to express, to journal, talk, listen, you know, holding and listening are the oldest medicines on earth. Yeah. When we're struggling to open our heart, hold or be held or asked to be held, listen or asked to be listened to. We breathe. This is another metaphor, but, you know, we constantly are inhaling and exhaling. We can't say, oh, well, just for this conversation, we'll exhale only. No, that's not going to work. Way the heart breathes is it we inhale by feeling and perceiving, and we exhale by expressing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how, it could, you know, and it could be alone or with others, but the heart has to express. We have to inhale and exhale, and not for what we produce with our expression, but so that it keeps the heart breathing. And healing. So another way to to keep in touch with our heart is to keep being expressive. And that could be by making dinner or gardening or stamp collecting or however it might be. It's not just the formal arts. It's how do we stay in relationship and in conversation with the whole of life. Another thing that just real briefly that Spirit's been kind of bringing my way, we've had some grief experts on the podcast who say, talk about spatial awareness. Like if you go to the house of somebody who's passed that you love and you see that they're not there, it kind of registers more in the brain. And as you were talking earlier, I noticed my thoughts the other day as we were driving to the pool. I was like, okay, I have spatial awareness as we're driving to a place that I'm not turning off to go on this errand over here or this errand, but I'm headed towards my destination of the pool with my kiddo. And I had this uh, flash when you were talking of spatial awareness when it comes to this resilience. And if we have this direction, this kind of ping within our hearts of, okay, this is what spirit wants me to go work on. Like to your point before with the humanitarian and creating this effort uh, that he, he left his career to go do. When you have this vision of this destination of where you want to go, resilience kind of shows you where you are maybe spatially on this map of where you're headed. Although spirit's always changing the destination, right? Uh, Cause yes, <laughs> let me speak about that from this angle or this way that we're always asked outwardly to follow those moments we've been talking about. It's like, you know, the modern metaphor is you have an electric car, you got to plug in every once in a while. And these moments rejuvenate who we are and where we are and why we're here. 
how rare it is. We renew how rare it is to be here at all. And that changes everything. And inwardly, I think we're always being asked to relate to our soul, to our inner voice. So let me talk about that for a moment. So the word genius, you know, we think of it in the modern world, someone with extraordinary brilliance, a Mozart, an Einstein, you know, right? But that's not what the word originally meant. The word originally means attendant spirit. Everyone has a genius. Everyone has an attendant spirit that can guide us to our gifts. You know, Blake again, Blake, one of his aphorisms is straight is the road to improvement, but crooked is the road to genius. You don't know where it's going to take you. You have to follow what comes alive. So now let's talk about there's a lot of different names for that attendant spirit, you know, soul, Holy Ghost, uh, Brahman, Atman, Dharma. You know, there's a thousand names for it. Angels, our guardian angel. So we have so so when you think of like, let's say the famous story of Aladdin and his lamp that's from a thousand and one Arabian nights. It's not just a story about rubbing the lamp and getting what you want. No. It's a story that says if you embrace the lamp of your life, your guardian attendant spirit will show up to help guide you. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Everyone has a genius and everyone has a connection to the teaching that is life that shows up in the details of the world. I just don't even know where to go from there. You're amazing. Mark, oh. thank you so much for coming on the show. Everybody, I didn't even get to ask all the questions that I had written down because you can see I've just got so many uh, pages noted throughout your book. This is an amazing book. It deserves oh. to be on everybody's bookshelves. Falling Down and Getting Up, Discovering Your Inner Resilience and Strength by Mark Nepo. Thank you for being here. Please let everybody know where they can find you, your book, your work. Yeah, thank you. So, and, and it's a joy to be in this conversation together. Thank you for having me. And so through my website, marknepo.com, and another website, threeintentions.com, you can find out where all my books, and, and today, actually, as we're talking, is publication day, so it's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. It's special to be able to do this. There you can find where I'm teaching and the things that I'm you know, doing all over. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. Beautiful soul, thank you so much for joining me today. My name's Julie. You know I'm all about connecting you with messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side. If you've been listening today and you're super excited and just have to know which angels are around you right now, who's connecting with you, and what messages they have for you, go to theangelmedium.com. Register for a session. You can do a reading with me or a member of my team. We're all incredible. We all talk to angels daily, and we can help you in making sure that your angels are doing the very best they can to support you and guide you to your best life. If this sounds like you, virtual sessions, they're only offered on my website. Sign up today.
And if you're the person who's really excited, you're ready to go all in developing all of your unique spiritual gifts, growing your intuition, starting your own healing business, you can sign up for my Angel Reiki School to become a certified angel messenger. That's for the healers among us who feel called to grow their intuition to the max and serve humanity with their gifts. You'll learn Reiki, mediumship, how to deliver angel messages, and how to get clients. That's the Angel Reiki School at theangelmedium.com or DM me on Instagram at angelpodcast with any questions. Before you go, connect with your angels by placing your hands on your heart. Take a deep breath. Imagine a doorway filled with God's unconditional love is right in front of you. Step into that love and feel it as it fills your body, chakras, and auric field. Now ask your angels, what would you have me know today? And open yourself to the positive, loving messages they have just for you. <laughs> 